0: Welcome to Getting Comfortable, a student-led podcast dedicated to unpacking the relationship between Islam and the West, where no one is an expert. My name's Carrie, And I'm Jada. If you tuned in last week with us, you joined Risa and Isabella on their discussions surrounding the question of Orientalism and after. If you haven't listened to that episode, we definitely recommend you take a listen to it before coming back and listening to this episode. I mean, after all, all of our episodes do build on each other and the previous conversations.
1: In today's episode, we are going to talk a little bit about the Ottomans. As always, throughout our discussion, we will be referencing the reading materials we were assigned in class to go along with this module. If you want to gain further context or do some independent reading, a bibliography containing our readings will be included in the description of this episode. Okay, let's jump into our discussion. So like I said, um, today's topic is the Ottoman Empire. Um, Specifically, this module is called Getting Familiar with the Ottomans. So this section asks what the significance is of studying Ottoman history and how the historical narrative shifts if you look at things through an Ottoman-centric lens, which is a, I know for me, an unfamiliar word that we will define as we get a little bit further in.
0: Absolutely. And because this is such a meaty, long podcast, we're going to be doing two episodes. So stay tuned for next week as well. So instead of just jumping straight into the topic, I always like addressing what our previous knowledge and assumptions of the topic were prior to the reading and the discussion we had in class. So Jada, what did you know about the Ottomans?
1: So I do actually have a little bit of background knowledge about the Ottomans. Um, I actually took a class with uh, with with uh, Carol last semester that surrounded the Ottomans and their empires. So we looked at the Ottoman Empire, uh, the Safavid Empire and the Mughal uh, Empire. Oh what
0: wow! So you, me, definitely not,
1: <laughs> you definitely have me beat on knowledge for sure. Um,
0: I've never really taken a class about the Ottoman Empire or even studied it in general history courses from you know first grade until now. So this is completely brand new for me.
1: I would agree. I think before taking a class that was specifically looking at the Ottomans, I don't believe I had heard of them before in any historical context. So definitely, definitely. before that class, it was a new topic for me and still something I think I have a lot to learn on even after taking a semester long class.
0: Absolutely. So, so having taken that class, if I, if I were to say like the Ottoman Empire, what would come to mind for you?
1: I think first and foremost, what would come to mind is just the expanse of the empire and the role it played in how it impacted all of the empires surrounding it. Sure. After that class, I feel that there's no way that you talk about the emergence of Europe as an entity or the expansion of global trade without talking about the Ottoman Empire. Even when we yeah. look at the expansion of like trade routes in the Silk Road, I think there's no way that we have that conversation without bringing in the Ottomans, the Safavids, and the Mughals.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you're thinking about it, it is a a global superpower for over over 600 years, you know, so how can you have a conversation about, you know, that 600 years of history and and what's
1: surrounding it without including the Ottomans? Right. And I think that makes it even more surprising um, or maybe not surprising, given how education is centered uh, in America. Uh, (laughs) It makes it even more shocking that for so long there has been a conversation about, the rise of trade and various empires without even touching on the ottoman empire
0: yeah absolutely and it's funny that you say that because um when i think about the ottoman empire what comes to me what what comes to mind for me is actually a movie called secondhand lions and it was a a 90s movie with i think like Haley joel Osman in it and so um basically one of the main plots of the storyline it's set in the 50s one of the main plots is that this guy goes into the ottoman empire and they're telling stories about him about like the sultans and the beautiful princess who he rescues and stuff like that and that's literally the only thing that i think of or that comes to my mind when i think of like the ottoman empire so it's like this very over romanticized not at all educational or even based on any sort of fact or anything um so definitely when you think about like the the education system that we have now it's crazy that like I couldn't even place anything historical on it. It's just a movie that I saw when I was a kid that I liked, you know?
1: Right. And I think that is very interesting to bring up, especially because it is something that we will touch on a little bit in this episode. And I believe it is Matt and Sierra after us who um, get into more so the characterization uh, and the impacts that the Ottomans have on like opera and how just they start to appear culturally, where I think we get into a lot of like, those characters and like escape literature and all of this stuff that yeah. uh, you bring up in that movie which is very interesting I hadn't heard of that before yeah just like the preconceived
0: notions that you have from the sort of over romanticizing of something that I really know nothing about you know right interesting so what do you think is like the the significance in studying the history of the Ottoman Empire do you think it lies like solely in the trade and how it helped the Western world develop Western world develop. or what are, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I think that there is significance in studying the history of the Ottoman Empire in a multitude of different ways, because, yes, while we can look at it through the lens of how the West, as we know today and Europe kind of arise out of or in conjunction with the Ottoman Empire, um, I do believe that there's also a significance in looking at the Ottoman Empire on its own as an empire that lasted for over 600 years. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I mean, we study Roman history and Greek history and all that. And the Ottoman Empire is so, so close to the time period that we live in and lasted for so long. I, there's got to be historical
1: value in studying it for that reason alone. Absolutely. Right. And especially when you consider both the longevity of the empire and the expansion and the amount of territory that it covered. It is a very key player and also just an impressive empire in its own right.
0: Yeah, absolutely, I would agree with that.
1: So kind of jumping off of that, I think we can jump into talking about the first work that we read um, for this module. Um, And this work is by Donald Quateret and it um you just stop saying <laughs> <laughs> so this work is by uh Donald Quateret and it is called why study Ottoman history so it gets directly to that question we were just talking about which is is there a significance to studying Ottoman history and why should we So I think kind of the core of the piece and what it really gets at is that it is important to study Ottoman history for its impact on the world stage uh, during its existence, as well as acknowledging how Ottoman history is world history, along with the remains of Ottoman influence that we still see today.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, so it jumps right into, I mean, that sort of idea of like how big this empire was. So the extent of the Ottoman Empire and, what era it was in so it was it was founded in the 1300s and lasted until 1922 which is just a crazy amount of time I mean we're talking after world war one is when it yeah. when it fell so yeah I mean, about out...
1: 624 years I believe
0: yeah yeah absolutely and and the, the 1300s I mean that's when we that's when we think of like the, the medieval era and so when we're thinking about the medieval era it's important to think about okay there was this big global superpower that had organization and a really good system and structure, um governmentally already set up.
1: Right. And I think just when you pull out that range of the 1300s until 1922, it really butts heads. I think with this notion that the history of the Ottoman empire is history, it is so far removed when really it's, it's not that far removed, you know,
0: yeah, especially, I mean, I think my grandma was born in the the early 1940s. So 20 years before her birth, it's not it's not that far away. It's, I mean, what, three generations away from, from me, you know? Right. So it really isn't this far off distant thing like we might think it is. So the Ottoman Empire was actually a successor to the Byzantine Empire. Um, and it was kind of born out of the Turkish people's movement out of Asia and into the Balkan region and the Middle East region as well. So it started with this um this kind of big migration. Um, and it would be it's interesting because it it's not necessarily just a Turkish Empire, which I thought was really interesting in the reading. Um, so it it kind of started in the the city of Istanbul, right? And it expanded mm-hmm. um, east and west. and by the seventeenth century it had holdings in West Asia, North Africa, and Southeast Europe. And so when you think of it, it might be um, an easy, I guess, an easy mindset to think of it as a Turkish empire, but it really wasn't. It was this multicultural, multi-ethnic, and religious empire. Um, and so while it was Turkish at its conception and origin, it wasn't just this Turkish empire. It was actually home to so many different people who had so many different faith backgrounds and and racial backgrounds and cultural backgrounds, which I think is one of the most interesting parts of the Ottoman Empire.
1: Yeah, and I think it makes it even more... Noteworthy that the empire lasted for so long because I think there is such an ability for an empire to fall apart even when it is based in one group with a you know common set of beliefs or values. So to have this empire that, as you said, is multicultural, multiethnic, and multiconfessional or multi-religious, and have it last for six hundred years and Mm -hmm. be pretty successful, you know, not just exist but thrive, is really impressive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting to think about, I mean, even the tensions we see in modern day America, where we have so many different backgrounds, um, races, ethnicity, and everything. um, It's interesting to think about the tensions that must have been had there that they were
1: just, they were able to, to work with and deal with. Right. And I think as we get further in, we'll be able to talk a little bit more about the systems and institutions that kind of you know maybe gave way to the, some of the success why there wasn't just a constant butting of heads but rather these multiple um multiple i can't think of the word multiple dimensions of different identities yeah. and life experiences to be able to coexist to a certain extent
0: yeah absolutely and that's really i mean what would have had to have been done I, you would you'd would have to learn how to coexist in order for this empire that spanned so far and um spanned over so many different ideologies you would really have to learn how to coexist and and work with the people. Um, That's actually, I think that's a really good segue to one of my favorite quotes from this entire article. Um, And it starts off saying, a far more positive reason to study the Ottoman Empire and assign it an important place in world history concerns the tolerant model of administration that it offered during most of its existence for a contemporary world in which transportation and communication technologies and the migrations of people have brought about an unparalleled confrontation with difference the Ottoman case warrants careful study. For centuries, the Ottoman hand rested lightly on its subject populations, end quote. So I think that's, that. I mean, I think that really sums up the idea of like why this is important on a global stage.
1: Right, it, it's an example that um, sometimes the heavy handed hand is not what brings about the best creation of an empire. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, a quote that I really like that I think pulls out the importance of the Ottoman uh, Empire on the world stage is that it said on page three that throughout nearly all of its 600-year history, the Ottoman state was as much a part of the European political order as were its French or Habsburg rivals. So you have this giant empire that exists so with so many different entities because of its light-handedness. And you also have it as not only a large empire because of its expansiveness, but also as a like major political power in the sphere. Mm-hmm. And I also find it interesting because I think there can be a lot of emphasis on early European history and how we see you know, the French rise to be a major player in all of these things. And it's important to remember that while the French were there, the Ottomans were there too, to Absolutely. just of an extent.
0: Yeah, and not only were they there alongside the French, but they were also just as um, I guess globally recognized as the French would right. have been. It wasn't like they were, it wasn't like they were just out there in the east, and the west didn't give them any mind. They were in fact a very a, a very key figure in the Western world's, uh, I guess quote unquote the Western world's um mind and political political atmosphere. I guess.
1: Yeah, and I think it means. I think from a contemporary standpoint, it can be easy to downplay what it would mean to be globally recognized in a time where, you know, you're not instantly sharing and hearing all of these things. So to, you know, exist in a world where communication is not what it is today and be globally recognized, that's incredible.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Just the the impact that they would have had to have to have been so well recognized absolutely that's very interesting to think about
1: yeah so another point that this article makes so we talked a little bit about how the expansiveness of the ottoman empire but quartet also hits on the importance of studying ottoman history not because only because of the expansiveness of it but because ottoman history becomes world history mm-hmm. So, yeah. as I can... go ahead. Uh, so, as we previously said, in the 16th century, the Ottomans are sharing the world stage with Elizabethan England, Habsburg Spain, and the Holy Ro- Roman Empire. And that with the Safavid state in what is now modern day Iran and the Mughal Empire in India, these, uh, along with the Ottoman Empire, these three empires exist as a major economic and political global power. And take up the geopolitical position at the crossroads of the Asian, European, and African contents. Continents. Continent.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I suppose that's a, that's kind of a, I guess, an interesting way to think of it because they really were the transition from what would have been considered the Western world to the Eastern world just by their their location being, um, taking up uh, some of the Eastern Europe areas as well as into Asia and Africa. So they really were at this um, this geographical location where they were kind of the bridge between what would have been two worlds at the time. But yeah, what I could think it really
1: of- just yes. hits on there is no way to talk about the forming entity that is Europe. And there's no way to talk about any of this without talking about the Ottoman Empire and, you know, the Safavid and Mughal Empire because they are right in the middle of it. There's no way they all influence each other.
0: Yeah, definitely building on each other and uh, opening up the trade between these two continents, I guess.
1: Yeah. And from there, I think we can get more into the cultural impact that the Ottomans had, you know, since we're touching on just based off of their position in the world, they have to interact with other empires.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a time when trade is really starting to thrive and, and flourish and become really global. Um, and the Ottomans—they weren't just—they weren't just, uh, they were just um, I guess, a quiet part of that. They were—they were huge. I mean, they brought they brought coffee to the Western world and um, things like that. And I mean, you always think of like Holland with the tulips, but that actually came from the the Ottoman Empire as well as um, inoculation to smallpox in the Western European and American world so they weren't just um they weren't just like the the quiet entity they were really big active players in global trading that brought right. a lot of different things to to Western European lives
1: yeah and in a, a really big way I think you know the art- article specifically mentions you know like as you did that the Ottomans are responsible for bringing coffee and tulips and the small and. inoculation oh that's a difficult word which (laughs) (laughs) I think can be thought of as like oh minor things and as you said like I would say most of these things today we when you think of coffee you're not immediately thinking of the Ottoman Empire or tulips like you mentioned you might think of Holland and not the Ottoman Empire so they're little things that have kind of fallen into the wayside but and especially like the smallpox inoculation where would we be without that being brought in you know (laughs)
0: That's so it's cute. incredible
1: that these, what can be thought of as small things, actually mm-hmm. very much impacted so much of life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Especially, I mean, in coffee, I mean, it's like you say in our notes, it's, it, the Ottomans really impacted daily life. It wasn't just, um, you know, the trading for the rich, you know, it was a the rich people got to have the Ottomans. Wise, It was a lot of people different, a lot of different people benefited from the Ottomans specifically.
1: Yeah, you also have the Ottomans making a big impact on music, both in their time and also in how we understand um, and experience music today. So the Ottomans did have the Janissary military band that had a, a lot of elements of percussion that we see in our modern day percussion section. Uh, And if that little tidbit piqued your interest, I recommend listening to, we will have an episode about the Ottoman uh, Metair band and its lasting impacts um, on our episode that'll be titled The Ottoman Metair Harem Escape Literature in Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart with Sierra and Matt. Yeah, definitely. Which is so interesting to think that like,
0: Mozart, I mean, he's the, the face of classical music, right? And right. in fact, really so heavily influenced by this, this Janissary military band and the Ottoman Empire in general, like how interesting is it that that was sort of like a muse of his, you know?
1: Right. And I think that it is one of my favorite things about studying history is how often that you find, you know, as you mentioned when people music think of music, you think of Mozart, Mozart as kind of like the starting point for a lot of things. Sure. But then you encounter other things that are like, no, there are systems and practices that existed before this person. And there had to be systems upon systems to support, you know, what we now know as music. And I always yeah. think that's really interesting to look at.
0: Yeah. I mean, it just it speaks to the to the global nature and global influences that we all have on each other and the interconnectedness of history in general, right. not just this specific time period, but I mean, Mozart, I would argue, like, changed, I mean, this isn't really our episode, but Mozart, I would argue, changed the face of music, and that all stemmed from something that wasn't necessarily himself, so it is just also interconnected, and it goes to speak that, like, we can't just erase one part of history, um, because then we just, we erase the, the origins of what we see today.
1: Right, nothing exists in its own bubble, nothing exists without being impacted by what came before it or even what came out at the same time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even like there was this idea of Turkomania um, where people were so into the idea of Turkish fashion that it showed up in 18th century Europe. It made such a big big hit, I guess.
1: Yeah, Yeah, all interconnected. And unfortunately, out of that, like the rise of Turkomania, you do have the rise of this, uh, caricature of the quote unquote Turk uh, that you start to you do start to see more in cultural aspects. So the character caricature, oh my goodness, <laughs> <The> <laughs> caricature there of go. the Turk uh, has portrays the Turk as either like a buffoon speaking gibberish, and you see that in the bourgeois gentle gentleman. Or you also have the view of the lustful Turk, where you see um, Turkish people as exoticized and eroticized, which I think feeds into, again, uh, what will be talked about in the later episode: the rise of like harem escape literature and things like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely wild that it made it into like the the Harlequin novels of the time of like the idea of the 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 Turk who just is is so sensualized. It's it's right. crazy about that becoming such a, a a big thing that people fed into and helped, I guess, uh, helped build up. And so they were at the same time um, exploiting these people um, at least mentally and also benefiting from them culturally.
1: Right, exactly. And then you also have, so you have Turkish impact on fashion and on cultural works and you also have Turkish elements, uh, take that with a grain of salt, arising in <laughs> interior design so you have the rise of oriental carpets and the the idea of in your house you'd have like a turkish corner where you'd have like overstuffed chairs and tassels and again the aforementioned oriental carpet yeah that's
0: crazy it's crazy to think of the impact that it made and um i know in class we talked a little bit about the world's fair where um i took a whole class on the world's fair it's super interesting but Ooh. in the Yeah, really cool. But um, this is a repetitive theme that you see in World's Fairs starting in around the 1870s all the way up until after World War II when they were still doing the World's Fair. Um, You see this idea of like displaying our culture, except it was always a very, there was always a very heavy spin on it to what the people who were buying the tickets to the World's Fair wanted to see. So they didn't necessarily want real idea of what a Turkish person was like and instead they probably did want to see more of the the caricature of what the Turk is right so they sensationalized version yes exactly so they had the sensationalized version that did feature interior design from the Turks and the idea of like the lustful Turkish dancers and stuff like that belly dancers you know things like that they really fed into this belief in the world's fair and it helped um, kind of propagate that idea um while still creating a market I guess out of the idea of Turkish people
1: right
0: yeah I think this really uh it kind of goes along to show the Europeans mindset of the Ottomans because even um even early on before the the 18th century the Europeans view of the Ottomans was really complex and it was changing um for example they often use like the Ottomans as an example of discipline like Machiavelli he writes about it and he praises them in his writings for being so orderly and disciplined but this wasn't always the European mindset it was um I mean it was a a relationship that lasted 600 years it was bound to change in the way they they viewed them um so Europeans while sometimes they did praise them for their discipline they would often um define the Ottomans in contrast to themselves right so while while Europeans were civilized the Ottomans were naturally uncivilized because they were other the Europeans were merciful and the Ottomans were cruel and barbaric instead so I think um the Europeans were able to get really a, a better sense of I guess, unity or a sense of knowing themselves by being the opposite of what they were able to describe the Ottoman Empire as.
1: Yeah, and I think you definitely do see the impact of the, and I don't even know if it's a uniquely European concept, but I think a lot when you look at like, when Europeans came to America, you do see the same rhetoric of, focusing in on what makes europeans or the early americans different from the indigenous people of you know america where then if if europeans are civilized then everyone else must be uncivilized if Absolutely. they are the epitome of mercy then the others must be barbaric and cruel and you just have that notion of you are we are everything you can never be yeah, absolutely. Which gets into really harmful rhetoric and really harmful territory.
0: Yeah, it's the idea of being able to to other, you know, um, being able right. to make something other that you are not, and being able to, at the same time, uh, inflate your sense of self because you are not the other, because you are not what they are. Yeah, it's interesting to see. Uh, also, the European view of the Ottomans, kind of conflated with religious movements of the different time periods. So like in the, in the reformation era of Europe, we see the Ottomans described as like the scourge of the earth. Um, but when the Anabaptist movement was getting really big in Europe, um, they went so far as to describe the Ottomans as like harbingers of, um, the end times and harbingers of like global disaster. (laughs) and even the Catholics, they had their own view, um, during the end of the reformation period where they believed that the Ottoman empire was, um, punishment for luther's widespread success as a reformer which is wild i mean
1: yeah,
0: it, that's it a ma- lot. <laughs> it's a lot right it's a lot to unpack in that one little tiny idea but it, it makes sense if you think about um religious zeal which was so heavy in europe at that time period i mean you have these these uh national religions and um the church is really Heavily running the 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 state, whereas that might not have been that, whereas that wasn't the case for the Ottoman Empire. Um, right. So it was much easier, I think, to have that that hive mentality of um, of othering, like we were just discussing. So having the hive mentality from religious zeal um, that led to this sort of idea of they are other, and therefore we can, I guess, persecute them in the way that we think of them.
1: Right. Yeah, and I think the discussion around the role of religion in the establishment and construction and foundation of an empire brings us to a really good point to introduce the next work that we read. Because I think this will kind of bring us into that earlier word that we briefly briefly mentioned, which is Ottoman centrism.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this piece is a work by Daniel Goffman that's entitled... Ottoman centrism and the West. So um, earlier in this episode that we, when we mentioned that word Ottoman centrism, um, we really dive into Goffman's work to discuss that. Um, So his main work focuses on the ways that the legacy of an empire is portrayed and is impacted by who is telling the story and the lens through which it is observed. Um, And obviously the lens that we're observing it through is the the Western mindset, um, which is what this piece really talks about. So, The idea of Ottoman centrism, um, or I guess the definition of it would be, it's an ideological shift that centers the Ottoman Empire. So seeing the Ottoman Empire, or I'm sorry, seeing the center of the world as Istanbul instead of Paris, which is what we are kind of used to, especially in the education system that we have. So we see the center of the world as Istanbul, which is an empire of rebirth, and seeing the empire as a haven for those who are escaping the religiously intolerant Europe instead of it
1: being, you know, the the violent East. Right, had you encountered the word Ottoman centrism ever before? No, this is totally new for me. Okay, yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting and really what this whole piece hits on is really how ideas change when you just do that little work of shifting your perspective. So we talked a little bit earlier about how the Ottoman Empire can be thought of as being multi-ethnic, polyglot, and multi-religious, and I think that gets into kind of what you hit on at that last little bit, which is instead of seeing the Ottoman Empire as its, as a possible place for religious persecution or as a purely um, Islamic empire, you can see it instead as a haven for those escaping what is you know, Europe is very well known as being very religiously intolerant. I mean, think of the very reason why you had, you know, the pilgrims coming to America, it was to escape yeah. religious persecution.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, the Ottoman Empire was just the, the, the precursor to that, I guess, the precursor to where people were able to go when they didn't want to be in that sort of um, religiously persecuted area. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And Goffman asked us to think of, and he says this on page eight, the Ottoman Empire as an amalgam of many cultures and traditions, which I think offers you that space for more freedom.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it is interesting to think about. So um, the the three main religions that we see in the Ottoman Empire were Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. And the reason why is because they were all people of the book. So they were Mm -hmm. all people of this common origin of Abraham. So they're Abrahamic the, I think that's how you say it, right? Abrahamic religions?
1: I believe so, yes. That sounds right
0: to me. Um, But yeah, so they were all of this common denominator, and therefore they were all allowed to live peacefully within this political um, and geopolitical sphere.
1: Which I think in a way ties back to when you were talking about how the European view of the Ottomans was always changing, and that a lot of it was defined by how the Europeans saw themselves as fundamentally different from the ottomans so you have yeah. the emphasis in difference whereas i feel that in the in looking at the religions that were in the ottoman empire you see more of an emphasis on similarity like as you were mentioning they are all religions of the book all abrahamic religions
0: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and i do think it's interesting to think um I, I believe, and I could be wrong on this, but I believe the primary source of Christianity in the Ottoman Empire would have been orthodoxy, which is very different than what we see uh, in Europe at the time, who had already strayed from orthodoxy in um, 1034. They had the, the split between the Catholic Church of the East and the West, where we see orthodoxy versus um, what more commonly becomes known as the Latin, right? So even even in Christianity, there's still that, that sort of difference right. between the idea or I guess the Ottoman, what was typical of Ottoman Christianity versus um, Western European Christianity, but still it was allowed to to thrive in this same area because they had that commonality, like you were saying.
1: Yeah. Interesting. So I think another, in viewing the Ottoman Empire through this Ottoman-centric lens, um, we, or Gothman kind of tackles the presentation of the Ottoman Empire by the Europeans and kind of just contemporary history as a whole, as an empire that, quote unquote, lived for war. Uh, And kind of, he pushes back on that and emphasizes how that can be incredibly hypocritical when out of Europe you have the same thing of empires living for war and you even have works like uh, Shakespeare's Henry V where King Henry goes on this whole journey of realizing what it means to be a king what it means to be uh, an Englishman what it means to be a good man through the vehicle of war. Yeah absolutely
0: yeah like it, it is really hypocritical and I guess kind of ironic that they see the Ottomans as over militarized but I mean was really Europe at the time any? different i mean was europe not very heavily militarized
1: right isn't that the character of any empire that is seeking expansion yeah absolutely and i mean you see the crusades and stuff and and all of this heavy militarization
0: and and, and this uh this emphasis on on being kingly through through having strong armies it, it's crazy to think that they would take this one idea and apply it to someone else but not see that in its own
1: sense i guess Yeah. When you point one finger at a mirror, you got two point back. Yeah. Isn't that how it goes? (laughs) That sounds right to me. (laughs) It's something along those lines. (laughs) But yeah, so you have this painting of the Ottoman Empire as living for war. So it starts kind of getting into that more. I think language and how you speak about anything is very important. So when you talk about an empire as living for war, I think you were opening the door to use a lot more violent language. And I think we see that a lot in how expansion is talked about. So right. kind of painting the history of the empire, of the Ottoman Empire in such a way, does give rise to placing the Ottomans in that category of other. When it's, they live for war, but when we, when we define ourselves through war, it is something that is... Good. It is how we define ourselves, but it's not cool when anyone else does it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The sense that, that European wars were righteous, right,
0: and, right. however, were unjustified.
1: Yeah. And I think it also aids in seeing like the Ottomans and their practice of faith as a demonic religion and their practices as just savage nomadic ways because before settling down um, and creating their empire, the Ottomans were a nomadic people and it was a huge shift for them to become stationary. But, you know, in, when you're looking to define by differences and you're in, immediately introducing that more violent language, mm-hmm. there it, it aids in that painting as drastically other.
0: For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, super, super interesting. Um, it it kind of I would imagine gave rise to the idea that that Islam is is violent when the Ottoman Empire again wasn't strictly Islamic. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. It's easy to to think of like Islam as a as a violent religion when that notion has been painted across history textbooks that we've been reading our entire lives for sure.
1: Right, and I think it's also just. It's important to be very mindful of how it can be used to demonize an entire an entire practice. Because, mm-hmm. like, as you've mentioned, there are the crusades, like there in history, there is the ability for religion to be used as a driving factor, as a reason to incite violence against others. But I also think that in the case of the Ottomans and of Islam in a whole, we see that continued characterization in a way that has not been applied to a lot of Christian faiths, which is, so it's, I think it's very important to consider, you know, we're talking about why studying Ottoman history is important, but it's also important to consider how we study Ottoman history because it's one thing to present the Ottoman empire as you know, savage and as barbaric and over militarized, but it's also important to consider how that affects our contemporary mindset of the Ottoman Empire and the religions practiced within it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you pointed out this fantastic quote. You you have it written down your notes saying, um, "Implicit in this fixation on divergence, othering." is an assumption is an assumption of inferiority of uncivilized savagery. So again, I mean Goffman really tells us to to bring to mind that if we're if we're fixating on what the idea of other is, it's easy to to let it become um, let it let, gosh, I'm trying to figure out how to say it. So it's easy let to it let it spiral. It become, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's easy to let it become spiraling to the point where other is always bad.
1: Ooh, ooh, chills. I got chills. <laughs> Getting into heavy stuff today. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just so easy. I think it is very important for you and I, as people who study history, and also just for everyone as a whole, to be reminded of the power and responsibility that you, and I'm using like the collective that you have when engaging with the history of anything and when talking about it and just in how we think about it because it is these little perpetuations that then snowball into these greater effects. So I think just kind of talking about all of this is so important because although it may seem like, oh, it's kind of like a little conversation, it's forgettable or, or, However you want to think about it, it is our responsibility as students, as people who maybe want to go into education. And I think just as people to keep in mind the responsibility that we have to really engage with and think about how we are learning about things. And that's yeah, my view on it. <laughs> for sure. I mean, the lens in which we
0: which we view things is so important. I mean, that's I think what is so interesting about this government article that he asked us to change Um, to change our own lens through which we see it or our own view through which we see the Ottoman Empire. So instead of seeing it as plundering, what they were doing was really just laying a foundation for an empire. And sort of seeing it as, you know, savage, what they were doing was being a a global superpower, just like any other empire of the time would have done. So it's, it's important to think of it not just as what it's been presented as but what it probably in actuality is. And it it really was, it was multi-ethnic, it was polyglot, and it was multi-confessional, um, which is a word used by Carol, our teacher, um, professor, I guess, all due respect. multi um, <laughs> uh, multiconfessional meaning power sharing arrangement between people of different faiths. So it wasn't just it wasn't just one creator background, it really, it really was all inclusive and all immersive. So it's important to call that to mind instead of the, like you were saying, the stereotypes that we might have had from it. Um, because it is so important as people in education and academia to lend credit, lend the
1: credit where the credit is due. Exactly. And I think in talking about how we're viewing things in our responsibility as students and as educators and just as people in general, we can kind of jump into our last Piece, which I really liked in this module. We did two readings and then we also watched um em- uh, documentary. I was going to say an empire. That's not what that's <laughs> called. It was a documentary called Islam Empire of Faith. <laughs> and we watched the third part of that documentary called the Ottomans. And it is a documentary put together by PBS. And we did have the opportunity to watch this in class, which I think led to a very powerful discussion.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it was a—I don't want to say necessarily a heavy class, but this is a heavy topic. That I think it was—I uh, think it was very beneficial to to watch this documentary and get something that was a little bit more. I mean, these articles were very heavy to me, so it was a little bit more di- digestible, I guess.
1: Yeah, and I think it's just always fun to in or beneficial to engage in different ways, because when you have like I don't know about you, but I'm in so many classes that are like, yep. Do these like 50 pages of reading. So oh to gosh, like, yeah. I'm gonna do my little reading and watch a little video as a treat. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so funny. It definitely does feel like a treat. You're right.
1: Yeah. So this documentary, um this documentary provides what I think is a very good overview of the 625, 624 year reign of the Ottomans um by focusing on bureaucratic systems and looking at two of the more prominent sultans of the empire um yeah what i really liked about this documentary and what we really hit on in class is it was kind of mind blowing to all of us but <laughs> this documentary had kind of a neutral tone yeah
0: yeah it was definitely one of the the i guess one of the first pieces of media I've seen that was not um uh, heavily leaning one side or the other yeah it was very neutral for sure
1: yeah and one of the um, one of the interesting comments that I think we heard when talking about the documentary was that there was an opinion that oh maybe this was too flattering to the Ottomans which is kind of eye-opening in that it has become our expectation that any documentary or thing like that has to explicitly pass judgment rather than just presenting things as hey this is what it was
0: for sure yeah our mind automatically drifts to well was this real because we we have that sort of a that mindset of uh almost immediately wanting to discredit something favoring the ottomans so that even if something isn't favoring the ottomans we might take it that way because of our our biases
1: right yeah so I think I like this documentary a lot because it does it starts with the expansion of the Ottomans into the West as they transition from being a nomadic group into a stationary group and start laying the foundation of foundations of empire. And I really enjoyed how this documentary talked about this expansion because it kind of paints the expansion as something that was bound to happen with the decline of the Byzantine Empire and the inability of the Ottomans to spread to the East, it just kind of was, um, you know, with the exploration that they were doing, it's just, it's what made sense, which I think is a far cry from, you can paint expansion as something that is a given, as something that made sense, or you can paint it as something that is very violent and aggressive. And I feel like in my experience, often the favorable light is lens is lended to European expansion versus the yeah. expansion of, of other empires. And I think that gets into, you know, how, how we view them. So I thought it was really interesting that, that flattering lens was um, put on the Ottoman expansion.
0: Yeah. I mean, even when you think about it, like the idea of manifest destiny in American culture specifically, I mean, it's, it's bound to happen. It's yeah, absolutely. Like you're saying, it's, um, it's interesting that we're able to so easily lend that sort of mindset towards European or American interest, um, whereas not necessarily being able to do that to what
1: could have been considered a threat to Europe in the Ottoman Empire. Right. Which, by the way, just hitting on Manifest Destiny, I remember exactly the moment when I realized that Manifest Destiny was a very nice way of saying, hey, uh, the Americans murdered a whole bunch of people to free up land <laughs> to move into. And I was like, oh, wow, that's a very nice word for what this actually was.
0: There you go, right? Easier to say that than...
1: Like, like oh, it was meant to be. A um, Whole lot of murder happened. Yeah, genocide. Very, <laughs>
0: super, super yeah. interesting.
1: Well... Off of that, um, the documentary does focus on three institutions that kind of supported the, the establishment and the continuation of the Ottoman Empire. So the three institutions that it really hits on, um, and that we'll kind of touch on briefly here, but I believe further episodes we'll get deeper into,
0: is right. the
1: institution of fratricide, which is um, the killing of one's brother. In this context, it was specifically the killings of one's brother in order for the ascendancy to the position of sultan to be uncontested. Mm. Um, so this is an empire that is going off of, what's the word for that? Dynastic rule? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Right. Um, so you do have that in order to secure the legacy of the institution. Um, and then the second institution that it really touches on very briefly in the documentary um, is the institution of the harem, which um, Carol provided us more context for and kind of defined as a site of reproduction politics, where you have female power orchestrated and operated by the uh, sultan's mother and fa- and the favorite of the harem. For
0: sure. And it was nice to see this in a necessarily over-sexualized sort of way that that we've been presented before, because it w- it was really uh very important in the Ottoman Empire, and not necessarily for the reasons you might think it be for sure. Right, right. Um, and then the
1: third institution that is brought up is the institution of the devshirme, which the devshirme is an institution in which um Christian children from the region of the Balkans um were taken and converted to Islam, um and would. In this process, they'd be given an education and later became um, janissaries and viziers. So janissaries, they became a part of the military and uh, viziers, they became um, part of the group that would like advise the sultan. And so they can be described as servants to the sultan. And it is a system that kind of, it, inst- it secures allegiance. Um, yeah, super brilliant way of doing that, for sure. Right. And in talking about these three institutions, there are a lot of contemporary feelings that can be placed on these. Obviously, going to come out and say it, kidnapping children, not great. Uh, yeah. Force conversion, also not great. Right. Not cool. That's to put it very lightly. I'm trying to keep this a little bit <laughs> lighthearted. Uh, a little but I think the documentary does a very good job of presenting these institutions and not passing judgment on them by contemporary standards. Rather, they just present them as ways of understanding the empire and how it it succeeded. They're not, these are not, they're not passing judgment. They are just stating these as, Hey, this is what happened.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and to be fair, things like that are a common thing that we see in, in a lot of um, religiously dominated empires, um, especially the Spanish and um, the British, you see it, you know, the, the converter died mentality, right? Right. So it, it isn't something that's necessarily new, even to the time period the Ottomans were reigning. It wasn't, it wasn't something new, um, but it was something that they did use to their advantage, whether it was just or unjust.
1: Right. And you do have this institution as, you know, it's a way for children to be educated and it gives you like a secured career. So I just like that this, I think this documentary did a very good job of just saying, hey, these are the facts and they are what they are. Yep. This is how it worked. Yep. Absolutely. The other thing I think the documentary hit on very well was the systems of bureaucratic management that the Ottoman empire had in place. And I think management is a very important word here. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. and I mean, it, it talks about how specifically um, the regional practices of the area were—they weren't just um, cast aside and 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 um, forbidden or anything. They were instead um, they they were continued. So they allowed people to, while well, they were under new authority, I guess they allowed them to still have the sense of security in what they were currently doing. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think that also gets into, as we've mentioned many times, that this was a multi-religious empire. Yep. And I think that. Form of management rather than new implementation uh, kind of speaks to why that was allowed to happen, like why these multiple religions were allowed to exist within the same empire. Because while there were certain practices like taxation and things like that, that were levied against people of different religions, mostly it was, hey, you can continue doing your thing. We're not going to strike you down for it. But there will be additional additional factors additional things in
0: there for sure and that is again such a brilliant way of doing it because I mean if if you had come into this new empire um if you I guess when you served by this empire and become part of their territory and and you were told you could no longer have your religious practices there would have been a whole lot more pushback than what we see towards the Ottoman Empire and their expansion right Um, yeah so they were really doing it as peaceful as they were able to do it um, allowing people to still worship, um, and allowing them to to not lose their sense of religious or cultural identity in that—that that, I think was was very a very key factor to to why the Ottoman Empire was so success successful again.
1: Exactly, and you also see the importance of titles and how you legitimize yourself as a ruler and as an empire. So we did kind of mention that the Ottomans. Are kind of positioned as successors to the Byzantine Empire. They come in at the decline of the empire and are able to expand into into what, into the territory that was once held by um, the Byzantine Empire. And you also see with that the collection of titles to go along with that. So you see rulers take on. They have been known as sultans, but they are also now styling themselves as Caesars, which comes from the Byzantine Empire, um, and also the Use of the title King of Kings, uh, which showcases not only the expansiveness of the empire, but that this one ruler is the king of all of the kings. He is everything of this whole region.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it, it again plays to the the diversity of the Ottoman Empire that everyone knows that there is, well, while someone might not necessarily know what a sultan is. They do know what a Caesar is. Right. And so yeah. it, it uh, of, of credibility towards the ruler himself.
1: Yeah, and it's just another way of tying the empire to the legacy of what came before came before it. Because not only are, did they take over this land, but they are stating, "We have a heritage to this. I am the Caesar. I am tied to this legacy."
0: Interesting. Yeah, that's a really interesting way of putting it, for sure. Yeah, it was overall a super interesting documentary to watch, and I think I think we all as a class got a lot out of it. Um, we so we do a lot of, uh, of writing um in this class kind of like discussion board post. uh, But one of our classmates, Amanda, she wrote that she liked that the documentary mentions this institution as matter of fact without disparaging the Ottomans as less civil than any other religious order. It simply states the historical facts of their empire. And that was uh, definitely what you were saying, Jada, that it it isn't biased, but more so informative.
1: Right. And you also have Sierra who um, brought up that watching this documentary and kind of talking more about the more neutral stance it takes creates a discussion about the extremes we see when discussing history. Rarely do we see a neutral point. It almost seems like historians take sides. Instead of highlighting European expansion as positive and the Ottoman expansion as negative, we almost see that script flipped.
0: Yeah, absolutely, which is, uh, uh, again, going back to that, that Guthman article of take yourself out of your biases And instead think of maybe what it was actually like at that time period.
1: Yeah. And maybe just reconsider. Do we have to apply contemporary judgment to everything? Or, you know, is there an importance to saying this is what happened? Yeah, absolutely. And this is how it was. Yeah.
0: Super, super interesting week overall, for sure. Definitely very heavy. But yeah, a good week. So, so. I guess going back to this
1: question, Jada, again, is there significance in studying the Ottoman history? I think absolutely. It is significant and important to study Ottoman history. I believe the first piece that we kind of talked about hits on it the best of all the reasons why Ottoman history is significant. It is an expansive empire that lasted over 600 years from 1300 until 1922. Uh, Ottoman history should be studied because really, It becomes a part of world history, not only for what the empire was, but how it played a role in being the geopolitical center of many different continents and also the impact that it had culturally on Europe and just what the world becomes today. Yeah, I mean, you really can't separate
0: the idea of European history and Ottoman history when European history did rely so heavily on Ottoman history itself. Yeah, absolutely. It's important. Yeah, so what do you think about um, the historical narrative shift when you kind of look through that Ottoman-centric lens as opposed to the Europeanized lens?
1: Yeah, what really struck me when we started talking about Ottoman-centrism is just how much, well, really, shifting, that little shifting of the lens kind of struck me because it is something that afterwards when you read the works where it's laying out why you would do this, and you kind of see... It's kind of not that difficult to try and see it from another's perspective and see how much, and then it is shocking how much things change based off of that little shift. So it makes me wonder, like what else in my life in what I have studied is different if I would simply change the way I was looking at it, or just change yeah. the language that was used to talk about it
0: yeah it becomes I think Ottoman history becomes a whole lot less complicated and you're not thinking of it as like oh this violent expansion throughout Eastern Europe instead it's like oh they're building an empire and this is what people did to build an empire this is how specifically did it I think it 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 demystifies it a lot in my opinion personally yeah yeah absolutely it makes it I think just a lot more digestible when you think of it as that sort of that sort of expansion that that while other people were doing the same thing, this is how the Ottomans did it a little bit differently. But again, same idea, different place. It's important to think of in its own right that it was, um, gosh, I'm trying to figure out how to say this. It's important to see it in its own right as what they were, as opposed to what other people saw them as, I guess.
1: Exactly. Yeah. No, I think he, I think he phrased it very well. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think we're just about out of time here. Uh, So, Carrie do you think do you feel a little bit more familiar with the Ottomans oh my gosh yeah (laughs) absolutely yeah definitely again like I said a very a very heavy
0: I guess not very um just just a very heavy reading week and a a lot to take in through those readings a lot it gives it it gives a lot of ideas makes you think of a lot of different things I guess
1: (laughs) yeah I think very kind of conceptually heavy because you have yes. like, the historical aspect that we're looking at and I think also like it made it made me analyze how I look at things yeah absolutely I'm, I'm working your own
0: biases is always a little bit emotionally and mentally exhausting so
1: but I it's think that little- means you're doing the work absolutely putting in the effort look at us go all right Carrie any last minute thoughts from you anything else you want to say to wrap it up no I would just uh remind
0: everyone to- try and check your own biases and when I say that I don't necessarily mean it in a bad way I just mean think of it for what it was as opposed to what someone else or what your initial thoughts are telling
1: you it might be yeah I think that's a that's a great note to end it on Um, so thank you for listening and getting a little, uh, more comfortable with us today as we became a little bit more familiar with the Ottomans, uh, next episode, you'll be with the two of us again, as we dig deeper into Ottoman centrism and the Ottoman court. Um, until then be well, and we'll see you next time on getting comfortable.